0: Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. So settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. Melissa was nude when she considered herself in the tall mirror. She didn't think she looked so bad, despite how Garrett often teased that she had the flat body of a little boy. Her legs were shapely, somewhat, and her long black hair rolled down her frame in tight, bouncy ringlets. If the light hit it in a particular way, it looked almost purple. Melissa loved it. That was all she loved about her body. Her hair was perfect. But in front of the mirror, she considered the rest of herself and was disappointed. It was as if her hair didn't belong to her body. Or maybe her body did not belong to her hair. She was not certain which of these was more true. After staring at herself for a long time, she felt ashamed. Melissa covered her breasts with one arm, and with the other, she covered her genitals Looking away, she squeezed her eyes shut and swallowed a lump in her throat. Melissa braved another glance. There wasn't really anything to cover up, she thought bitterly. She was in front of the mirror because she had found a condom buried in the bathroom trash while looking for a receipt. It peaked its semen-filled tip from inside a crumpled wrap of toilet paper like a little latex mummy. And had Melissa not been so keen to find that receipt, she would have missed it entirely. But she did find it, and the seven-inch rubber sheath now lay on the dresser beside the mirror. The moist white fluid inside created a seal, keeping itself fresh and viscous. For almost a year, Garrett and Melissa had been trying for a baby. She had her first appointment with a fertility specialist in a few weeks. This condom was not hers. It now lay on the dresser in front of the mirror. Melissa turned her back on the condom and the mirror. She started getting dressed and tried to forget about that thing curled like snakeskin and how it oozed semen from the lips of its tubular base. But she couldn't. She squeezed her eyes shut and saw it on the back of her lids, imagining the rubber stretched across her husband's erect penis and then watched it sink into the body of another woman. Melissa felt ill. But she turned around to face the thing again, staring at it blankly. She heard the sound of Garrett's keys turning locks in her head, and imagined the shuffling of his shoes as he kicked them off without untying them. Melissa wondered what she would do. She could see him dropping the keys on the little table next to the door and hear the mail plop against the wood. There is the thick, wet slap of latex colliding with Garrett's cheek, and his face unfolds into a barbed expression of disbelief. Garrett leers at her for a few moments and then looks at the floor where the condom has landed. The expression of disbelief is flooded by a tidal wave of recognition. Melissa points at the condom and the semen splayed on the rust-colored tile. What is that? Garrett stammers. I... I, It's a fucking condom, Garrett. His mouth hangs agape as he raises his eyes to meet hers. She smells his fear like cologne. It is sour like spoiled milk, sharp like cat urine, and only makes her more ruthless. Now, the question I have to ask is, why did I find a condom in the bathroom? Before he can answer, she shakes her palms and says, No, no, forget that. The better question is, why is there even a condom in our house? Garrett is about to speak, but Melissa cuts him off again. There is no point to the question. I can't believe you. I just... She throws her hands in the air. She spins to pace the foyer. She bites her lips, squeezes her eyes shut, then whirls around to snarl at her husband. I can't believe you would do this to me. Garrett approaches Melissa, his hands held up as if to indicate that he is unarmed. Each step is slow, and once he reaches her, he puts a hand on her shoulder. Melissa, you... She slaps the hand away and shoves a finger in his face. Don't. Do not tell me I'm not enough for you. That can't be possible because I've been practically throwing myself at you for the past year. To make a baby? Melissa furrows her brow. What? Garrett's bony thumb and forefinger wipe the inner corners of his eyes and clamp the bridge of his crooked nose. He lets go of an exasperated sigh, then his hands clap against his leg. The only reason you ever want to have sex is so that we can have a baby. I thought that was mostly the point. I'm not talking about the biological imperative, Mel. Her lips curl into a jagged lightning bolt when her open palm slices through the air. The hand slaps his smooth cheek with a deafening thunderclap, and Garrett's face follows its trajectory. Melissa grabs his tie and pulls him down to eye level. He is so tall and so big, but she stabs into his eyes with hers, darkening her voice to spit. You do not get to be snarky right now. The stare continues in silence for a few seconds more before Melissa lets go of the tie. Garrett palms the red blossom on his face, and Melissa cannot read his expression. It is triangulated somewhere between being dumbstruck, wounded, and furious. She does not back down. She is a snarling lioness with her claws dug into antelope flesh, her jaws hovering over its hot, throbbing neck. Her gaze does not break with his, and the ice in her eyes demands an answer. Garrett's lips press tight against each other. His aging, Abercrombie face becomes stony, and Melissa decides she does not like the wrinkles developing next to his eyes or around his mouth. Sex isn't just about making babies. It's also about desire and love. Melissa's face explodes into a tepid, dour laugh. So what, I guess you that means you love this other woman? Garrett starts to take off his suit jacket, and Melissa is winning. He opens the closet near the front door and starts to hang it up. I, I, that's not where I was going with this. Melissa raises her arms perpendicular to her curveless torso and juts her head forward. Well, you got there anyway. She knows she is intimidating. She knows she has him on the run. This is Melissa sucking the marrow out of the antelope's bones. Garrett slams the closet door and swings his body to launch a counterattack. You don't make me feel attractive anymore. Despite the violence implied in the swing of his arm, the thrust of his chest, and the snarl of his mouth, his words tread gingerly with an almost downy softness. Melissa scoffs. She scoffs again. Her gaping jaw curls into a wide, hollow smile, and she puts her hands on her hips as an empty laugh flutters from her throat. I don't make you feel attractive? He crosses his arms and raises his chin. That's right. He nods his head with a small, sharp jerk. It's cute that Garrett believes he has the upper hand. Melissa takes a step forward and pushes him. What about the little jokes about how flat my chest is? She pushes him again, and the confidence which glimmered in Garrett's pale blue eyes is starting to dull. What about the snide comments about how flat my hips are? She pushes him a final time. His back slams into the doorknob and his expression sucks into itself like water down a drain. Melissa is roaring. What about how you always find a way to tell me just how flat I am? Garrett's mouth spreads incredulously and his brow slumps over his eyes. What the hell are you talking about? Melissa grabs his shirt and slams him into the doorknob again. Garrett burbles and she slaps the other side of his face. Garrett does not say a word and Melissa tries to murder him with her eyes. His hand meets her elbow and he guides her into the living room. His hands are cold and rough, even though he never works with them. She likes this about him, that he is an intellectual with laborer's palms. She softens and remembers how his hands would glide down the line of her back and follow the slight convex where her legs meet. She remembers the first time they made love, and how awkward and beautiful it was, how there were no fireworks like she imagined there would be, but only because he had been tender, every touch with every part like the light brushstroke of an artist painting his lover. She remembers when they finished that they lay together side by side with their fingers interlaced and how they made strange pillow talk about Doctor Who and Harry Potter. But when she raises her head to look into his eyes, she forgets about those times. His eyes are empty because his pupils are like black paint on thin mesh on nothing else behind. When she looks into his eyes, there is no warmth there. There's only a vacuum that is cold and black and empty as all of outer space. Melissa, I don't think we're ready for a baby. His voice is just above a whisper, and he adds, I think maybe not getting pregnant was a secret godsend. I I don't think we fit together anymore. This is it, she realizes. This is the talk, the one that ends it, the one with the papers and the yelling and the division of things and the division of hearts. In the bedroom, Melissa could take the thought no further, and her fantasy disintegrated like an eruption of dandelion seeds. Garrett was not home and she was alone with the condom and its gaping mouth, vomiting semen. Looking away from it, she caught her eyes in the mirror and was aware now just how many mirrors there were in the house. It was as if she were constantly looking back at herself, constantly questioning her skin, meat, and bones. But it hadn't always been like that. Once, Garrett had made her feel beautiful. The way he used to look at her with his eyes full of such light was blinding, and she would often look away. In those days, she could look into a mirror, and that light shone through her pores. He imbued her with her own flame that pumped radiance through her veins. But she imagined the eyes in her vision, and knew that was how he looked at her now. There was no light there anymore. When she looked into a mirror now, she didn't see a woman. She saw a lump of flesh with small breasts and a flat body and beautiful hair. So she tried again, looking back at the surface of the dresser and the condom there, her fingers almost touching it, hoping this time might be better. Garrett? In her mind, he is sitting at the opposite end of the couch, reading the newspaper and not paying attention to the action thriller on the sizable plasma screen. He loves that television. Turning it on is the first thing he does when he enters the house after slipping off his shoes. Melissa does not understand why, because he always reads the newspaper, his legs propped up on the ottoman. Hmm? He replies to his name with lackluster disinterest, and the newspaper crinkles when he turns the page. I saw Doctor Who on Netflix earlier today. Mmm. Garrett's face remains buried behind the newsprint, and he crosses one foot over the other. He is wearing black and olive argyle socks, and she thinks they are ugly. Melissa tucks a lock of hair behind her ear, and looks at the floor for a moment. Would you like to watch it? He turns the page again before replying. Watch what? Doctor Who, like we used to. Sure, Mel, put it on. The space between them on the couch is empty, and she puts a hand on the cushion. It is cold. Do you want to come snuggle with me? Garrett shakes his head, folding the newspaper lengthwise. No, I'm okay over here. The cushion between them is occupied with a syrupy quiet. Why don't you ever call me baby anymore? What? Look at me. Garrett sighs and folds the newspaper again before dropping it on his lap. What's up? His blue eyes are impatient and tired. Melissa pauses the movie mid-explosion and shifts to face him, folding her legs and putting her feet beneath her. I found something in the trash today. Garrett does not reply. It was a condom. Garrett's face goes white. Do you know how it got there? Uh. You do, don't you? They are small words, hollow and bitter. Garrett looks away from her to massage his forehead. His brow is raised as he sighs. Melissa knows him well enough to tell that he is annoyed. The rough hand he presses to his head drops onto the newspaper, which crunches under the weight. You have to understand, things haven't been going well between us. Melissa does not understand, but she wants to. She slides onto the empty, cold cushion and leans into him. They haven't? Garrett is looking at his socks. I'm sure you've seen it. I I mean, we're distant, but it's, it's nothing we can't work on. Melissa is close enough that she should be able to feel the warmth emanating from his body, but there is none. We've tried working on it. No, we haven't. We can't have, because because we, we haven't even had a serious conversation about this until now. It, it just doesn't feel like it's worth salvaging. But I love you. That's not enough for me. I'm not enough for you? Garrett sucks in a cheek and shifts his gaze to the explosion on the television. A long, breathy sigh seeps through his nose. No. Melissa runs her fingers through her hair, and her heart is beating fast. She feels a sort of illness, like nausea, but it is in her heart instead of her stomach. She tries to understand for a moment, and she traces the squared lines of grout between the rust-colored tiles. A tiny shudder reverberates up her spine, and she asks, But what about the baby? Things may not be going well, but, but I thought the baby... He shrugs his shoulders, eyes still locked on the television. We've been trying to have a baby for a whole year. I don't think it's happening. Is that what this is about? I, I'm I'm going to see a doctor soon. A baby isn't going to fix this, Melissa, and I, I don't want to bring a child into a marriage that's collapsing overhead. There is a lump in Melissa's throat like a hot coal, and she tries unsuccessfully to swallow it. Her hands fold together in front of her face, splitting it in half. She discovers two parts of herself now. There is the part that wants to make this work and the part that cannot go on, the part that wants to forgive him and throw herself at his mercies, and the part that just wants to leave. Those two parts are so far away from each other that there may as well be an ocean between them. In the bedroom, the mouth of the condom was smiling. In the mirror... Melissa wasn't sure if the face looking back really belonged to her. She had felt like a woman because of Garrett, who used to tell her every day that she had the perfect smile, that he was an idiot next to her, and that her clever jokes always brightened his day. There were many things Garrett had once told her, and now she wondered if they had actually been true. Her long nails were touching the condom, the acrylic French tips near the hard ring of latex. She thought dourly, at least he wore protection. She remembered the aftermath of when they first made love. Garrett laid next to her and twirled her hair around a finger, staring at it as if he were playing with mercury. "Mm, I love you, he whispered. The words were like butterfly wings, and Melissa held her breath. She was afraid it would it would scatter the syllables into the night. She smiled and looked at his lips, waiting for him to speak again. Never had she felt so much like a woman as she had that night, with him inside her and looking at her like she was made out of magic. Melissa couldn't imagine what her life would be like without Garrett, couldn't fathom the way her heart would shred into a million tiny strands, ragged and jagged, haggard and tired. Just the thought of leaving him was exhausting. She tried one more time. Garrett enters the kitchen as Melissa grinds frozen spinach in the food processor, The buzz of the machine hides the sound of him unlocking the door and slipping off his shoes. She does not know he is behind her until he slips his hands under her arms and holds her. He kisses her neck and Melissa stiffens. His lips have done this to someone else. Hey. He advances up her neck to kiss her ear. Hey. She takes the container off the food processor. Garbage soup? Yeah. She turns to answer him, holding the pureed spinach in one hand and the counter with the other. She needs the balance because she is dizzy when he rests his hands on her waist. How was work? It was fine. It was a short day today. Really? Yeah. They sent me home early. Mm, Well, my day was lousy. Garrett pulls her close and buries his face in her hair. His hands are still on her waist, and he sways back and forth. Melissa closes her eyes, and they begin dancing to imagined music, moving their feet with slow, small steps. I missed you. He kisses the crown of her head. Melissa pulls away from him and puts the spinach on the counter. Her back is turned to him when she says, I found the condom. What? Yeah, my day was pretty lousy, too. What are you talking about, Melissa? We we don't use condoms. Exactly. She leaves the kitchen and Garrett follows her into the bedroom. She lifts the condom off the dresser and shows it to him. Melissa, that's not... Yours? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's certainly not mine. Garrett rubs his mouth, and his eyes lock onto the condom. He stares at it for a while, and she knows he is trying to come up with an excuse. And last, he settles on. I'm, I'm so sorry, Melissa. The anger she thought she would feel is absent, and in its place is a muted sensation. The rage is so intense that she is numb, you're sorry? I, I, I don't know what I was doing. I just... I was lonely. I, I feel like we weren't connecting, and I, I screwed up. I, I... It was just once, but I can't forgive myself. Who was it with? Some grad student. Is that why you've been so distant? Garrett shakes his head and looks at his socks. No, that's not why. I I just don't feel like we used to. I, I miss when we would curl up in bed and laugh at each other's jokes. He raises his head, and a faint smile makes his lips twitch. Remember when I'd play with your hair, and we'd talk each other to sleep? She doesn't say anything. She stares at him, but her gaze has softened eyebrows are no longer raised, and her mouth is no longer a hard line tugged down at the corners. Garrett is not looking at her. He is staring at the floor. It will never happen again. Melissa steps forward and hugs him, pressing her cheek against his chest. He smells like old books. She forgives him, and they kiss. But Melissa was not in that world. She was alone in the bedroom, her fingers clutching the condom. She stared into the mirror and saw herself stare back. Melissa threw the condom in the trash and left the house. decaf The worst part about the pills working he thought was that he no longer wanted to kill himself before the pills he could still cling to the hope that if he could no longer bear it one day escape was possible now escape was no longer an option and he struggled behind a wall of ennui before the pills the thoughts came easily Overwhelmed by life, he could conjure the terrifying fantasy of a gun. Feeling its weight, the heft of the handle, imagine rubbing his thumb over the stippled grip before pulling the slide back. He heard the double click, first of the bullet ascending into the stock, and then the snap of the tiny brass lozenge entering the chamber. The spot on his temple where he pressed the imaginary barrel went warm and stayed warm long after he'd finished the fantasy, a seductive reminder of his options, reminiscent of the terrifying excitement when he'd asked Jenny Hassanow out, and she'd said yes. He could do hard things. He could do scary things. And they were often good. He pictured the shiny bullets in his palm, let the cold brass warm against his skin, and considered how similar they were to his pills. They were heavier, but about the same size and shape. They were sleeping pills. If he took them, he could finally get some rest. He had no opinion of what would happen after he died, though he'd given a great thought before the fantasy started. He wasn't sure what he believed in now, if anything, so he surprised himself when he summoned the demon. Desperation drove him to books. If he knew enough, he'd feel better. When nothing on the self-development or philosophy shelves helped, he widened his net. He learned rituals promising to crack the universe open. He drew sigils and gazed into flames while reciting mantras. These things helped, but he didn't know why. He found a book called The Goisha. It cataloged demons and detailed instructions to summon them. He watched video after video on YouTube of men in yarmulkes and women with black makeup explaining how to cast a circle and protect oneself with the names of God. The naming of things makes them real, they said, and knowing a thing's name gives one power over it. Armed with a value pack of Walmart tea candles and a Swiss Army athame, he poured a circle of iodized salt and stood in the center, clutching the book. In his excitement and desperation, however, he'd missed a crucial component of the ritual. He didn't know what to ask for. This posed a problem as the Goisha explained that each demon was used to acquire a different specific thing, and he needed help with everything. Anything would dispel the fog of desperation in his heart. All he had was the nebulous sense of wanting to feel better, wanting his life to be better. The plastic sticky tabs protruding from the book thrummed like a choked drumroll as he ran a hand over them. Which one to call upon? He'd memorized them all and knew their rank and function. What name would serve him best? At last, he thumbed the pages of the grimoire like a flipbook and shoved a finger into a random spot. Epos, 22nd Demon. So be it. He set down the seal, chanted the invocation, and spread his arms wide to receive the entity. His hands trembled. He was ready. He was ready to receive the thing, to be taken away and replaced, to have his life made better by its possession. Nothing. He took a deep breath. Eyes squeezed shut, and then recited the invocation again. Nothing. Feeling ridiculous, he went to bed and tried to forget about the whole thing. He awoke in the middle of the night to the smell of rotting flesh. Light from beneath the bathroom door spread in a trapezoid, revealing the dingy carpet. Humming, low, off-key, and bold, emanated from behind the door, made ethereal as it echoed off the tile. He checked his phone. 2.22 a.m. No messages. The humming stopped, and so did his heart. Since you're up, could you get some
1: toilet paper? you
0: His feet went cold. He'd never had a night terror before. What could he do to wake up? He thought about all the novels he'd read, all the movies he'd watched. Move your big toe, he commanded himself. It moved without a modicum of effort. A simple thing. The stories always made it out to be a grand endeavor, some kind of invisible battle of tremendous wills, the mind against itself. The triumph filled him with warm, golden power. I'm going to use your power if you don't help me. He was sure that his vision darkened around the edges, though he was hard to tell in the nighttime. His throat tightened, and his blood pumped so hard his fingertips throbbed. He twitched, and with the little flutter of his leg, he realized that he could move. There were no restrictions placed upon his body, mental or otherwise. A hole opened up near his bowels, and the warm, golden power flooded out. The bed went damp. From the bathroom, a rustle of heavy cloth, a groan flush his breath came so fast that he couldn't distinguish an exhale from an inhale a switch flicked and the bathroom fan sputtered into a nasal high pitched yawn the doorknob rattled and the narrow beam of light spread into a yellow film that covered the room He'd expected the figure to be taller. Truthfully, he didn't know what he'd expected, but it was not this. The thing's body was triangular with a waspy, furry waist supporting a broad, thick chest covered with dense, snarled fur, shaggy like a lion's mane. From it sprouted the long, elegant neck of a goose, decorated in pure white feathers. As the creature's form sunk in, he realized that he'd expected something leather, more anthropomorphic, perhaps black with wings, horns, and cloven feet. The realization embarrassed him, and the creature laughed.
1: (laughs) No one does. I mean, a goose? What demon appears with a goose head? It shrugged. More than you think, but
0: they're not very frightening. He pushed himself so that his back pressed against the wall. He swallowed. The creature stood in the bathroom doorway, fingers fidgeting as if it was stretching them expectantly, readying them for some kind of work. He swallowed again. The snake-like neck swiveled about on the Atlassian shoulders as unsettled as smoke. The black, beady eyes inspected him, shifting its face from one side to the other as if each eye could observe him better from its independent side. A long time passed like that, each of them watching the other watching them. Finally, the creature broke the silence. "'What do you want?' It struck him as an unusual question, for he'd expected to ask it himself. His heart fluttered, his jaw quivered, his tongue dried, grew hard, and stung. The creature cocked its head. "'Am I speaking the correct language?' it stared a little longer before opening its beak to produce a series of guttural sounds as harsh and sharp as a good knife gone to rust tu adiama dire then the creature paused once more flung its head to the other side of its mountainous shoulders along the broken question mark of its throat and then spoke in what he was almost certain was spanish Mira,
1: amigo, me estás poniendo de los nervios.
0: It blinked. It blinked again. A long time passed between blinks. Look, window licker.
1: I know you
0: speak English. Don't mess with me. The reaction took a second to process it. It had to travel through his balls, up his gut, and into his mouth. I, I, I don't know what to say. The creature flinched, disgusted.
1: You summoned me here. You
0: performed the
1: invocation. Cast the circle and said the right. You're telling me you summoned a creature from another dang dimension and didn't, like, I I, I don't know, prepare a list? A, a list? Yeah, a list. Every dopey wizard keeps a journal and writes their hopes and dreams
0: and progress and stuff. When he didn't react... Epos narrowed its eyes. The creature brought its big, heavy paw to its flat, orange beak. He waited. The fingers melted off the matte, rubbery goosebill and collapsed at its side.
1: What do
0: you want? It repeated the question as if it was hard to ask. It was a hard question to answer. He knew what he no longer wanted to feel, but what did he want to replace it? The creature shook its head. I can't take something away. I can only give things. That made him stop. What did he want? What would make him happy? Was was happiness even what he wanted? It gave him cause to ponder. He knew the same way that he knew he had fingers what he didn't want. But what what was the negation? Was the negation of what he wanted ever something that manifested in the positive? I, I want to feel good, he said, the words eking out like a shy mouse leaving its home for dangerous territory. The creature's bill clicked as it seemed to consider the statement. The white head turned from side to side, giving each eye an opportunity to inspect him.
1: That's it? You summoned me, Epos, count of hell and one of its princes, to do what a hooker could do?
0: He flung his hands out before him, waving them while shaking his head. No, 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 not not like that. Then, like what? He leaned forward on his thighs and ran his fingers through his hair. I, I didn't think it'd be this hard. Epos ruffled the feathers along its neck and honked. Me neither. What's your problem? With a sigh, he tossed off the blankets, flinging his legs over the side of the bed. I I don't know.
1: With all due
0: respect, why the heck did you call me then? He cocked a quizzical glance at the demon, who seemed once again to read his mind. I don't like swearing. It sighed as if it had already had this conversation before. Its beady black eyes seemed to roll. It's
1: unsophisticated and does nothing
0: for my image.
1: Demons are more civilized than you'd think. Ever seen Hellraiser?
0: I even have a swear jar to keep me honest. When this explanation failed to relieve the strange expression, Epos raised its paws.
1: Look, I'm trying, and that's
0: what counts. He considered encouraging the creature, but sensed that it would only increase the burgeoning awkwardness.
1: Anyway, this isn't about me. You brought me here, so let's figure this out. Epos gestured to the door. Let's get some coffee. Humans can't think straight when they are unmedicated.
0: The dark bruise fragrance expanded across the entire apartment like a nebula. Epos sat at the kitchen table, back straight, paws on the edge, drumming its fingers its mane fluttered against the breeze of the air conditioner with the erratic dance of candlelight he set a mug before epos and took the chair across from it the creature shook its head with a small gesture more reminiscent of humanity than anything else he'd witnessed epos do waving the beverage away with a huge paw it replied
1: thanks but unless you've got a
0: decaf I'll pass, he fidgeted with the mug. Can I get you anything? Considering the offer for a moment, Epos took pause but then seemed to think better of it.
1: So what's your deal?
0: Are you lonely? On the black surface of the coffee, his reflection trembled while he raised the mug to his lips. No, Epos leaned back. Horny? He shrugged. Sometimes, it's not a problem.
1: Sure, everyone gets horny sometimes. You don't summon a demon to get your rocks off. At least, you don't summon one with a goose's head. Citri, maybe.
0: It eyed him sidelong as if waiting for a reaction, and seemed disappointed when none came.
1: Anyway, you're not lonely. Not horny. Important distinctions to make.
0: So then, what are you? Again, the seemingly simple question was difficult to answer. Epos drummed its fingers against the table as it waited, unwilling, or perhaps unable, to help. How could a powerful, otherworldly creature understand what he was going through? How could... Anything. Anybody. Do you feel powerless? No. Well, yes, but I don't want power. What the heck does that even mean? I just want to take back my life. Epos lowered its neck on its shoulders and stretched it out straight, Orange bill wide and tongue lunging from its maw. Protruding barbs ridged the inside of its beak and along the edges of its tongue.
1: You haven't lost it, hombre. This is it. You've got what you've got. Now, now, do you want to be a CEO or something?
0: He sipped the coffee and then shook his head. No, absolutely not. Why the heck not? I don't want to be in charge of other people. I just want to be in charge of myself.
1: There's a lot of cocaine in the CEO business, and I hear humans love
0: cocaine. I don't want cocaine.
1: What about a trust fund?
0: Again, he shook his head.
1: Hose? You want some hose? Fifty cent love,
0: depending. It
1: completed
0: him. Isn't that like being a CEO? Epos stroked its neck, conceding the point. Then it snapped its fingers. I know a Lamborghini. Everyone loves
1: Lambos. I I don't think that would help. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Justin Bieber was a wreck until I got him
0: a Lambo. I I don't even know where I'd park it. Fuck,
1: dude!
0: Epos honked, slamming its fists against the table. The mug jumped into the air and landed on its side, spilling hot coffee onto the floor. While the demon leaned forward, mortified, he retrieved a roll of paper towels from the kitchen. Then it produced a mason jar with a modest pile of coins from its stringy mane. Dropping a quarter through the slot in the top, the demon shook its head.
1: Two thousand years.
0: I was proud of that streak. It drummed the table again, its head weaving in short, agitated jerks.
1: Look. "'I'm not a therapist, and I don't get
0: paid by the hour,
1: "'so I'm going to make an executive decision
0: here.' "'It reached back into the mass of matted fur "'hanging from its shoulders and produced a spiral notebook. "'He blinked. "'A notebook?' "'Epos waved a finger at him. "'A
1: journal. A five-star, no less.' Built strong to last long.
0: It gestured for him to take it. The pages were blank. He held a few up to the light, looking for hidden messages. He put his nose to the paper. Nothing special. Ippo stood up, dusting its hands off each other. Well,
1: I feel pretty good about all of this. You're welcome. Don't forget to refer me to your friends.
0: Wait, 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 what am I supposed to do with this? The demon turned and looked at him like he was stupid. You write in it. That's it? Every day. He ran a hand over the dark blue cover. A black Bic pen jutted from the metal coil. Nothing fancy just a pen just a notebook he looked up to tell the demon thank you but found that he was alone he opened up to the first page and uncapped the pen at first the empty lines intimidated him but before he was even aware of it he wrote the worst part about the pills working is that I no longer want to kill myself it wasn't much but it made him feel a little better. In hell, Epos poured a cup of decaf. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. If you enjoy the show, please rate it five stars. If you'd like to go the extra mile, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com nightmaresandgrief. You'll get exclusive bonuses only available to patrons. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can find more of my work at nightmaresandgrief.com. Thanks again for listening.